The Agora podcast is covered by a BIPCOT no-gov license. Use and reuse is free and encouraged by anyone except governments or their agents. Find out more at BIPCOT.org. operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart, that you can't take part, you can't even passively take part, and you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, by all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. You were born free, you got fucked out of half of it, and you wave a flag celebrating. <laughs> Central authority has just embedded right in it uh, its own problem, and that is that it means a few people make decisions for many people. All right, welcome back to the Agora Podcast. It's Penguin, as usual, with my co-host, Seth Magora. Uh, come, coming at you with the exciting episode and a great uh, returning guest for all y'all. Um, thanks for tuning in. It's your home for agorism, uh, radical decentralization, localism, and anti-authoritarian concepts. Seth, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest? Hey, y'all. Um we're actually bringing back Brian Sovereign for the third time. He's the only one that's been on for uh, three times. Um, so privileges to Brian. But um, Brian Sovereign, if you guys don't know, is the host of uh, Sovereign Tech and creator of um, Zomia Offline Games or Zog um, and probably something else. Brian, welcome back to the show, man. How's it going? Yeah, doing great. Uh, great to be on. And yeah, I was going to ask, like, am I, have I been on the most? There's got to be. You were, you were, uh, yes, you were on the, uh, on the most times though. You're the only one that's been on for a third time, but second okay. place is like six other people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. So I'm going <laughs> to get beat eventually. So, so I got to <laughs> yeah. leave this episode with a cliffhanger. That way right. I can get on. Right. right. So I we have to do a part two. Yeah. <laughs> right on. But no, doing great. Um, yeah, it, it's it's awesome to be on again. Um, I know I, I even got quoted in another episode, uh, which I was not really honored by that. In fact, I think that's going to probably lead into part of our conversation here. Um, but you you guys did that episode on on property that I thought was just really tight and also very very fair, like very like you you were really broad in scope and welcoming. I think to to all you know ideologies uh, and and boy. I'd, we don't get that enough anywhere, you know, let alone in podcasts. Uh, so I thought that was that was really brilliant stuff. Well, thanks. yeah, yeah. Ahead, that's Brian. kind of the sp that's kind of the space that um, Sec and I kind of uh, met online is um, places where I think a lot of people were bouncing uh, a lot of very diverse ideas off of each other, especially kind of in an anarchist and kind of you know stateless 
context but yeah you know so i i've definitely connected with sec right away uh one thing because i had a lot to learn I, I mean i was i was kind of a sponge soaking up a whole bunch of new material but i really liked that like we were trying to some very success or another to kind of um bounce these what i've you know come to find are very you know different and diverse ideas off of each other and i think sec you have a pretty good talent for kind of well, maybe you're just in the middle, but you have a good talent for kind of. Um, did you just call me a and... centrist? <laughs> wow! I did not, I did not use the C up with insults. <laughs> <laughs> I did not use the C word. <laughs> no, um, yeah, we had a, we had a. If anybody doesn't know what we're talking about, we had an episode uh, called "What Is Property." I don't know how many episodes back, and. Before that, I, I reached out to Brian. I'm like, hey, you got anything? You know, what do you think about this? And he gave us his take on it. And we read that. But then after we had that episode, we had like a great uh, conversation in Brian's telegram group, um, Sovereign Polytech, about this very subject. And I'm like, man, we got to have you on to just kind of talk about this. So, and it was, you're right. It wasn't, we tried to be very fair. It wasn't, uh, Haha, ha, your idea of property is stupid. Yeah, but it was it was intentionally meant to build like bridges, I guess. I don't know another way to put it. Um, you know, the idea that everybody gets hostile and um argues endlessly about what property might look like in a uh, the context of a free society is is silly to me. To me this is like um you know, arguing over whether you like your steak medium or rare or don't like right. steak at all. You know, it's just it's just a a personal preference that doesn't has zero effect on my life at all. It's it'd be the same thing as, you know, do you like horror movies or comedy? You know, it's just one of yeah. it seems it seems very um you know, fairly I don't want to say it's irrelevant, but less less um important really than well, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I, I think you're hitting at something really key there uh, that is important to to open up I, with, you know, like really any conversation. I mean, a lot of conversations and, and unfortunately, th this kind of thing can take hours on its own where you just try to get definitions. Right. Um, because that, that you need that to know what the other person's actually talking about. But even more so than that is I think that we exist and I love that we can fast forward through a lot of things. Because, you know, we're, we're all on board in varying degrees with anarchism, libertarianism, you know, pick your pick your ism terms. Um, but I, I feel like especially people who really care about property, in fact, there's even, you know, kind of a almost a pejorative term called propertarians. Um, they rely heavily on logic. And there's nothing wrong with logic. I think logic is a fine and dandy thing, but it's a tool. You know, it is just a tool that you can use to bring to, you know, like whatever you're looking to engage. But you have to keep in mind that it's just a tool and that objective reality uh, does not, you know, while logic is a part of objective reality, it does not define objective reality. Just like you were just saying, Sec, about how, you know, it's like, well, wait, do you like steak medium or well done? You know, I mean, there, there are just there are so many things in life that are that are subjective taste. And so to suggest that you can use like these logical, you know, or philosophical arguments to somehow get to the bottom of what the perfect, you know, uh, uh, free society or what property would look like within that, 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a fool's errand because you're going to run into the limits of logic. You're going to run in, into even the limits of objectivity very quickly, you know, and you're going to, you know, and subjectivity is, you know, going to come in. Right. Um, and, and I think people forget that when they try to, you know, kind of banter about, about these things, um, that, you know, they want to think about it very logically. And I appreciate that because what do people want to get to? They want to get to truth. Like why do religious people still use logic? You know, uh, when there are things that they would argue go, you know, are a leap beyond logic. It's because they still want to like lay out a truth, be it universal, uh, or even a personal truth. Um, and so I, you know, I do think that that's really key is to understand is that logic is just a tool, you know, and some of these definitions, even that and language even is just a tool. And I know we, we talked about that and we'll probably get into it about, about language a bit. Um, but I, I think you're totally right about that sec that, you know, a lot of this does come, come down to a, a taste. It comes down to a subjectivity, you know, um, I mean, I could say to people that, you know, I, I think the Beatles suck. And I do. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, but, but how can you say, oh, no, 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 you're wrong. Right. Like that, that, that doesn't that doesn't make any sense um, because, again, it's a matter of, of subjectivity. Uh, so I you know, that that's that's kind of my and, and I'm glad we got this out of the way early, like because I, I worry when people want to like I get it. We want to use logic. We want to come to truths. Um, but truth is, you know, it's just that it can have that. It can have a multiplicity. It can have a quantum nature to it. Uh, I don't, I want to be careful with that word quantum. I don't like it, but, um, yeah. So yeah, I agree. Well, Go ahead. One of my so, um, big takeaways from the property conversation, just want to butt in real quick is, is similar to what you said about, um, subjectivity, but I see property, um, uh, rights or like systems of property rights as being, um, or concepts of property, however you want to call it as being instrumental so um people come can come together and, and form bonds or form a, form a community or whatnot and mm -hmm. the property rights you know they might have an end goal of what they want that community to look like and, and and the organization of property and 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 general like uh peer-to-peer -peer governance or whatever because we're generally talking about something like an anarchist or anarchist like yeah kind of, you know stateless kind of context so um but the the, the kind of the there's an a certain idea of an end, um, and it's not true for, for for all of them. But certain ideas of, of a certain kind of end. And I think everybody has a, a some somewhat of an idea of what kind of end that they want to. Not an ultimate goal, but like a certain basic structure mm -hmm. of the community, or a certain reason for forming the community. And the the property rights, whether like whether you choose you know a a fee simple property system or like a. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying this necessarily just pick and choose one. A, B, or C, entree, A, B, C, and side dish, whatever. But like, you know, it's instrumental into kind of creating that structure and those kind of uh, human relations between the people. And it's, it's, it can be entirely like a moral choice or just a, a purely instrumental choice of like, what do you want these relations to look like? It doesn't have to be based on, and it often is in some people's argumentation, but like, it doesn't have to be based on just strict like, uh, deontological logical framework this kind of like you know you know this is the true logical conclusion of self-ownership or whatnot which is not like unquestioned by any means like that's right those are all like you said basically subjective ideas hey sec here i wanted to introduce you guys to appalachian apothecary that is uh that's my lady um she makes 
boatload of tinctures, salves, um, medicines, um, some uh, libations, um, all, all very good, all from stuff we grew here at the homestead. Um, and she knows what she's doing. She's a wizard. Um, you, you may have heard her on the chemistry episode. But uh, if you're interested in any of that, um, go ahead and touch base with me um, at Sekmagora on Telegram. S-E-K-M-C-G-O-R-A. All one word, all caps. Or you can find us in the uh, Agora Podcast Discord telegram or find us on twitter at agora underscore pod thanks bye so i i would even i would even posit that one way to look at logic is a methodology to uh, achieve a, an end goal or to solve a problem mm-hmm. does anybody disagree with that that's like one way to look at one philosophical way to look at logic it's it's sure, a, a sure. method of pr- solving problems deducing yes so i would even say that <clears throat> the idea that you can arrive at one system or one set of property norms if your desire is human freedom and um, a stateless society i would say that reaching one set of um property norms or one set of economic structure or one form of societal organization is actually antithetical to that. So what I mean is if you have a a hegemony of, um, I mean, pick your poison of property norms, if you have, you know, if it's all um, homogeneic, it's not Mm -hmm. pluralist. If it's all one set of property norms or one set of um, economic structure or societal organization, that to me is not conducive or at least lays the framework for um, state formation, mm-hmm. whatever that, that I don't care what kind of property or societal organization. I think the more, I think the, if you use logic the for me anyway, and this is obviously subjective, but I would think having multiple competing systems and, uh, you know, uh, pluralism and, and property norms and economic structure and, societal organization is much more conducive to maintaining a free society than having reaching one um, set of these norms through some logical. So like uh, to reach that logically almost, it seems a lot, it seems illogical to me because I don't think you would, if you wanted to maintain a free society, I don't think you, you want options, right? Yeah, you want every- well, I would argue that freedom is options. Like that, right? That's, exactly. That's the very definition of freedom is having options. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I no, I agree with you. Be, and you want, like, you want a diversity. You know, you really don't want things to be one way. Be, and 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 I think this is, well, I don't want to get essentialist, but I mean, I do think it's one of those things that's that's pretty good across the board. Is <laughs> is to have some kind of diversity and some kind of diversification because that allows for, uh, you know, resiliency when there isn't just one way that can fail. And that's kind of the key thing is, you know, what, what, what happens, you know, when, when it fails. Right. And if everything's running in one way, um, well, I like that there are, that, that, that things can get done in different ways and that I have, um, choices, you know, when, when it comes to that, uh, I think part of the problem, you know, with, with logic, like you were saying, again, I'm not against logic. I think logic is wonderful. 
I think part of the problem is that logic is used to, for, for a lot of people, they use it to get to define what they would define as rational. And that's the key word. They want to define it as they, they want to say, okay, this is rational and this is irrational, but there is, there's a pretty key problem there. The opposite of rational is not always, and careful with my terms, not always irrational. The opposite of rational can be non-rational. Non-rational is not the same as irrational, right? Like there's nothing, you know, you liking a uh, uh, steak well done, or you liking steak medium or rare, you know, like those are not irrational choices. It's a matter of taste. Okay. So, but yes. Yes, you yes. know, right. So you would say that, okay, it could, you could consider it non-rational perhaps. And maybe people want to get into arguments. Yeah, but you could die from the blood, whatever <laughs> you want to get into that. Um, but that that's a whole other conversation, but the point, but it's really, really important to understand that I, or I think for people to understand that in these arguments, a lot of times it's people trying to, and they're usually using logic or some other tools are trying to get to rational, but most people, in fact, I've rarely talked to anybody who understands that you know, the antithesis of rational, they, they think it's automatically irrational when that is not true. Um, like there is such a thing as non-rational. There's that space in between, um, you know, th those, those two extremes. So that, you know, I, I think that's really important. Um, but I, again, I think, and that's, that's where we get into when people are saying, well, no, because I figured out this, th this version of property rights, um, and, and it's rational. And so they instantly think anything that's not that version of property rights is automatically irrational when that's not true. Like, okay, those property rights are rational for you, but to someone else, they, they're not irrational. They're just non-rational. It's just not rational for them. And, um, and one thing that they're missing is they're, they're forgetting about their own subjectivity. Yes. So, so they, you know, they are assuming it's, and I'm not even saying it's not rational, whatever they're choosing, but people often do. That's, <laughs> huge problem right sure People exactly they, they yeah. apply the they apply the um the subjective to the universal right that that's a huge problem throughout i mean i think that's the basis for a lot of problems but yes so so if you even if you came to a conclusion through rational means you're still um coupled with that is your own you know personal preferences your cultural upbringing your your individual upbringing, you know, like um, it, uh, there's a lot of of your own um, subjective valuation that goes into a rational decision. Mm -hmm. So just because it's a rational decision for you, does not necessarily mean it's a rational decision that would apply to everyone. Exactly. You know I mean? And you touched on something really great in that that ration uh, or I'm sorry, rational versus non-rational. I think that we live in a, an almost hyper-rational society in that we assume that reason, logic, and rationality applies to far more than it actually does. Most of the human experience is, as you said, non-rational. Yes. So there's lots of my day and my life that is rational decisions, but there's lots of things that I don't go out barefoot in the sunshine with a drink in my hand because that's rational. It just, I like doing it. If grass feels good on my toes, that's not rational. I right. get a spike in my foot or whatever the hell, or, you know, it's like there's endless um, rational reasons not to do that, actually. So I think that a large part of the human experience, and this could really go bring us into a whole different topic <laughs> altogether, but, 
is non-rational. And I don't think um, rationality necessarily um, um, even applies to most human decision making. And I'm not saying that's even bad. I mean, right. that's part that that's part that's part of what makes human beings beautiful. Yeah, no, I I, I 100% agree with you. Um, and you know, I think even just this part, if people could just get this part, <laughs> like I, I, there would be such a dramatic change because a a major issue, and and this is something that you know that I had hinted at uh, in my you know quote that you very graciously read in the previous episode about property. Um, you know, if you can accept that there are, you know, again, there are, you know, what, what's good for the goose may not be good for the gander, which is just one other way of putting it, but that there is such a thing as non-rational and not just irrational. If you could just accept that, then, you know, a lot of the, the punishment of, of, you know, these concepts of right and wrong, you're doing wrong, you're doing wrong, could fall away so fast, you know, because that, that's the problem too, is that, you know, rational and irrational often get equated with right and wrong. And when there's no, it seems like there's no middle ground in most people's minds. And, and sadly, I'm, well, hell, I mean, I'll blame Aristotle and Pythagoras right here. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to call them out and just say, you know, they, they fucked up everything <laughs> because, you know, one, one brought us like this, this idea that somehow the universe runs on logic, which it, it does not. And actually by Aristotle's logic, you know, he thought that there were people that were from birth meant to be slaves. Okay. You know, you want to, you want to, call out Aristotle and say he was some bastion of freedom, you're nuts. But, um, but then also Pythagoras, who got us to think mathematically and to think that the entire universe, you know, basically everything runs, you know, on math. And that's nice. And that can, that, that can help us with predictive results. I mean, that's, that's the goal of science is to, you know, like it, it's, it's a model for prediction. What is right. going to happen when X and Y, you know, come together. Right. Sorry, but these ahead. are all, no, no, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Have you ever read Heidegger? No. You would really like Heidegger, okay. actually. I, I would recommend everybody read Heidegger on science and technology. But, okay, so Pythagoras and Aristotle, and also you could throw in Plato with yep. his essences and true you know, true forms and blah, 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 and there, we, we find the true form of a thing through logic and reason. Um, these all are very good at describing a very uh, small fraction they do very well at that, but a small fraction of the universe, the human experience, yeah. math is very awesome. You know, it's absolutely, it's, it does lots of things that we really enjoy, but that is not, I mean, that is a very like reductive way to look at the things that you do. There's lots of, that is like a, a, a small fraction in, in the grand scheme of what it is to be a human being. You know what I mean? Or how we interact with the universe and other people and all of these things. And um, it can't be reduced to numbers. And I think yeah, I'll, I'll take this chance to shit on the progressive era. But I think that was the um, I think that was the project of the progressive era was very much. And, and don't get me wrong. I don't mean anybody that has some sort of forward thinking views. That's not what I mean. Very mm -hmm. specifically, the political regime of the progressive era was very much boiling people down into uh, uh repeatable numbers and sure, categories sure. and that was you know it's, that was the that's, that's almost why you had eugenics programs in the yes, late exactly, 19th right. early 20th century 100 percent. i totally agree to me you. that's like the the pinnacle of enlightenment thinking actually it was mm -hmm. just the application of rationalism to all of human experience and trying to create tech ta uh, taxonomies for humans and so you could have a 
reliable output and measurable, you know, um, categories and that sort of thing. But that's again a whole different uh, set of worms. But that's I think we, that we, that we is where we we will have that conversation. I, I'll take every opportunity to shit on the progressive era. <laughs> but um, but th I think that's where we're at as a society. And you know, you said something to me. Um, because why, why did you say it? Oh, because I thought everything was tra transactional. Yes. So yeah. you said you're looking at things through, uh, well, you know, that's probably because you're looking at things through the, the lens of the culture you live in. And of course, but I think that this like hyper rational thought, um, pervades ev everyone's minds, including anarchists, um, because of the, that's, that is the cult we're, uh, that is the culture we live in. Um, you know, you are what you, what can be measured. You know, yeah, uh, well, we I, value things based on their their ability to be measured. Sure, yeah, and and the point I had made I had made to you, and that I, I think is worth bringing up here, uh, even more more than culture. Culture is certainly a major part of it, but even more is language itself. Um, and 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 I I bring this up. I don't like bringing it up. You know, because when, when you start talking about the ineffable or when you start talking about, you know, like, okay, well, then what language should we speak or something like that? Or, you know, well, let me just get to the point before I before I go further. So English, the English language, you know, which is really taken over on the planet. Uh, French might take it over someday, but it's not anytime soon. Um, but the English language is a mercantile language. It was a language that in many ways started, but then also thrived and continues to thrive as the major language of trade. And it's not surprising to me that like that, that people, I mean, and I've been there too, you know, I'm not, I'm not acting like I'm, I'm some kind of grand angel above it all or something like that by no means. Um, but I think that the, the English language itself lends to the idea that everything can be quantified and that, you know, like everything is transactional. Um, I mean, even like, like the idea of self-ownership, I mean, I'll, I'll say it, you know, and this isn't anything new. I've said it on my show, Sovereign Tech for, for many years, uh, like that, that term, that phrase, I mean, just, just makes my skin crawl, you know, like it, it's even within like, you know, using English as the base, it, it it's a contra, it's a contradiction. Like there, there, and it's not a contradiction in that it's like somehow a, a paradox. Like it just doesn't make any sense. Um. So language is a major issue in that and because, and I don't think, again, many of us don't think about the power of language, right? Because language defines everything in our head, you know, in, in our, in our inner, inner dialogue, inner monologue. Um, and because of that, like, because we're not, I, I think the point I'm ultimately getting to is that I think we need a lot of new words for these things, especially in the space of property, perhaps even in the space of consciousness, like we need new terms that we, we just don't have. Um, and the problem is that's kind of a failing thing because, okay, we'll then come up with the terms or, you know, whatever, like that doesn't really solve anything in the here and now. And I know all three of us are really big on solving things in the here and now for ourselves, you know? Um, so it's very, I, I feel like it's very pie in the sky, but I, I really do think that, that, that it's an issue that like, that our language just sucks at being able to define, uh, both, you know, the human experience as well as, I mean, in some ways, I guess, you know, even the nature of the universe. Um, 
I mean, I'll just, I'll, I'll say quickly, like, I, I mean, you, you can pick your philosopher. I mean, everybody's basically just trying to be Spinoza anyway, but you know, pick your philosopher. Um, I mean, and, and when they get down to brass tacks on things like identity, unless you're talking Ayn Rand, but I wouldn't recommend that, uh, with identity, you know, they'll, they'll tell you, they'll be honest. They'll say, okay, like, is there such a thing as identity? You know, is there such a thing as like, you know, Brian sovereign is Brian sovereign. They would say no. And then they'd say, well, and then I would say, well, then what am I one with everything? And they'd say, well, no. So like everybody knows that even identity, like there's, there's just something in the middle that we can't exactly come to the conclusion on, you know? Okay. Because Brian sovereign is just like, it's just my name. You know, it's, it's not, <laughs> it's not my being. But then what is my being? Is my being something, you know, connected and like, you know, is it star stuff? Is it all this other jazz? Uh, so, you know, even in, in our best philosophical texts that I'm sure a lot of listeners of this show would have no issue with, uh, you know, when you get to the appendices in those books, we'll very clearly say, yeah, we don't know. you know, <laughs> And and that's OK. Like, it's OK that we don't know. But then why don't we know? And I think ultimately that does come down to language. I'm opening the floor to you guys if you got if you want to skewer yeah. me on that. So one thing on the transaction thing, I was actually borrowing more from Sterner, who was German, ah. mm -hmm. than I was from, and he doesn't put it specifically in those terms, but, you know, if you're, if you think that everybody is a psychological egoist, mm -hmm. then yes, you're, you're, everything that you're doing is pleasing what you believe to be your self-interest, right? Right. So you're, tr you're trading doing one thing for another thing whatever that thing is so mm -hmm. you you prefer one thing over another whether whether you're trading time or labor and you're right absolutely i will wholeheartedly admit that i do not know to what extent i am a product of the greater culture and language that surrounds me and i will i will also agree with you that hey it's sick I wanted to tell you guys about Cosi Graphics. She is a uh, uh, she's local to me. She's in our Freedom Cell. Uh, very like-minded individual. Uh, she is starting a, a graphics company. Uh, so this spot is for all your you entrepreneurs out there for your graphics and advertising needs. Call Cosi Graphics. She she provides creative custom solutions like logo design brochures and flyers leave behind cards business cards menus banners and posters vehicle magnets booklets and catalogs to schedule a free consultation call cosima at area code 865-544-8623 and i can vouch for this person i know them personally um very very cool and decent human being and again, she's very like-minded, and um, so check her out. Um, she's just starting out, and um, get send her your business if you need it. Thanks. So I've been reading philosophy. I was a book nerd when I was a teenager, and man, I just it shows. It shows, man. I, I, <laughs> I couldn't. It. I wanted to know what the universe, reality, consciousness was. I was also taking a lot of mushrooms at the time. I read <laughs> so much philosophy, dude. But then you get to a certain point where it's like you said, you get to the, the end and you're like, wait a minute. None of you really know <laughs> what you're talking about. Like you're presenting things and you're presenting. A lot of them will present them as this is what it is. And it's like, well, no, like 
here, this here's what this other guy said. You guys have been arguing about this for like three thousand years. Like, there's you. None of you really know. You're all just taking like basic guesses. And you were alluding to we do not know to what extent. Um, and I think the closest to get there was Sterner, but mm-hmm. we don't know what to ex- to what extent you are the self or the product. Like, are you, you know, just a greater part of the totality of the universe? Are you the universe experience ex- itself subjectively? So, like, you don't know where that. Nobody knows where that line is, like right. where the self ends and where things like culture and like you said, language forms the very, like the way you think in your head. So how can you have a self if the, the way you think about yourself is created by the greater culture? So it's right. like, where is that? No, the thing is, is like, nobody knows. And that's awesome, actually, because so there's like mystery to the universe. You know, yeah. like we don't fucking know. Nobody fucking knows. So um so what where do you go with that you know so then it's like well what is consciousness they nobody knows the smartest much smarter brains than our uh, than ourselves yes. have thought for a long time and nobody knows what consciousness is what the self is they don't know so um i also don't necessarily like the i the term self ownership um, just because it's weird, I prefer something along the lines of exercising autonomy or mm-hmm. so, uh, just a different term. The, the The term itself is just I've used it before and it just I, it, it's very odd to me. Um, but right, because like, what is the self? And then also, even if you go by like a more traditional logical definition of what the self is, how can you transfer like ownership is implying that you could like sell like how do you transfer like a free being like that 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 you get what i'm saying it's like saying a free being is a slave because they can transfer it just there, there's so much wrong with it anyway sorry didn't mean to cut yeah, you off but yeah no, absolutely yeah when i when i brought up that term i actually was specifically you know talking about like a specific school of thought right in like basically libertarian spaces and again like that's not exactly you're right it, it, it's an odd term and maybe i'd have a few different qualms including the one like transferring ownership i've seen the argument that the ownership um i don't know if this is really the intent of whoever you know started down this path but like ownership implies transferability of the ownership rights and then that's and i think it was a communist talking to arguing with an ancap or something and you know and i mean that does actually that is true though i mean ownership does imply that and then that that's just qualms uh, and there's could be qualms for the religious there can be qualms for all, all sorts of reasons but it's also just a weird kind of clunky clunky term because i will uh, say oh, reason you mentioned go ahead i will say this though i think they meant well in trying to yes uh, to create yeah. that term yeah. because it's it's exercising your autonomy i have the greatest cl- right. uh control over my own bodily autonomy so i'll give them the most charitable um, uh, um, most charitable take. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think yeah. and charity is really important when it comes to these things because when we look at a lot of these uh, philosophies and a lot of these um, systems, I was just thinking about uh, last night um, capitalism itself, and not to go into a whole discussion of capitalism okay. per se, but like, uh, you know, it, no, but it, it was actually how do you view it because you know when when you view capitalism in its formation in early stages as supplanting what came before it um 
there's good and bad that happened there, but I think the outcomes were probably were a net, you know, progress uh, towards uh, some sort of freedom compared to what came before it. But then when you see, uh, you know, you can see all the way to a lot of intervening years and you can see till now, you might, you might look at it in the present and have a very different subjective view of, of it now when it's all, it's almost uh, created efficiencies that might render it obsolete and a lot there's a lot of you know uh rent seeking and, and and not to go into that but like you if you look at it in comparison with what came before and what will surely eventually come after not that we can know exactly what it is that's coming after you're going to be looking at two very different things and you can make very vastly different it was actually something that uh, i saw posted on twitter and i and it it's like you know, I have vastly, I can argue vastly different opinions on what we call capitalism. I could do totally pro, totally con, totally, um, you know, depending on what the context is, what we're comparing it to, alternatives, what came before, what comes after, etc. And really, like, there's, I have no one take on the whole concept at all, even if I were to define it pretty, I would start off with definitions and define it as essentially one thing you know it's you're looking at something from vastly different just like you look at an object from a completely different you know perspective in this uh, as a silhouette in the sunlight or you seeing it from top down or just seeing it inside out you know it's like it's right it's you're you can you can actually be looking at the same thing and and describe it in many many different ways yeah i i don't know that we know what's supposed to be next or what what is next i mean even Karl marx you know, basically thought that capitalism was a necessary evil, right? Like that. Okay. This is, this is, you know, this is part of the evolution. Like we'll go through capitalism. It'll get us to a certain point, but then we get to the next point in his mind. It, it was it communism. Uh, yeah. You know, do I think he's right? Well, I think they're all concepts from like the 18th and 19th century. So, you know, and we live in, in a wildly different world than the 18th or 19th century could have, you know, other than maybe Jules Verne could have imagined. Um, yeah, I, no, I, I hear that. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to posit something here in that, you know, with the language problem that I think exists, not everyone has to agree with me, but um, a different term other than ownership, I think that could get tossed in would actually be stewardship and self-stewardship. Granted, you got to define what self is, but self-stewardship, there, there's a little more sense there of where you are. And, and that gets into you know, like the concept of property where property is being based upon the respect principle instead of it being ownership. And in, in, and in this case, it being stewardship where it's not about this is mine, but instead it's about taking care of something. I think that opens up a lot of other doors. And I think it does end up with a lot more options, even within the concepts of property, you know, be it private, personal, you know, I mean, there, there's a lot of different types of definitions of property that philosophers and economists have. Um, you know, I, I think that that word alone can change, can really change things in how we think about it. Um, there was a guy who I just love this guy, uh, who I met in New Hampshire and he had this house, very old house. I mean, you know, like, or not old as in like in Europe, you know, where they're thousands of years old, but you know, old America style where maybe they're 300, 400 years old, something like that. Right. And it was like a converted barn. And the guy said to me, and, and this was years ago. I was, I was at a, at a party, uh, for him. And 
he said to me, he says, he says, you see this house? It's like, this house is beautiful. He says, I don't own this house. I'm a steward of this house. I'm taking care of what came before, you know? And, and, and this guy's a full on libertarian, by the way. And, and, but I, I just thought that that was such a beautiful way to think about it. And it really did change. Uh, you know, it, it changed a lot of the underlying concepts of what to think of property, but then it didn't so much change. I think the end game, which is something is being respected and taken care of. Um, and it's being considerate to, you know, to other individuals. Um, so I, you know, I, I think I would toss that in there. I kind of wish Sterner went in that direction. Um, Sterner, his, I think his concepts of like, of everything being transactional, like I see all property is my property. Right. Um, I, I think underlying in Sterner was the idea that is that an idea that is paradoxical where he looks at everyone else. Like he thinks of himself as the most important being in the universe, but then he also thinks everyone else is too. Now that's paradoxical because you can't be the most important thing in the universe. And then someone else can also be the most important thing in the universe. Um, like that, that doesn't seem to make sense, but I do think that that's a case where it is a paradox and we do well to open our definitions of things and our, and our theories and concepts and philosophies and ideologies into the importance of paradoxes, emergent properties, and so on. Uh, I just said a ton. What do you guys got? <laughs> well, I, just to kind of bring it back to some um, real examples that are kind of uh, close to us and present. Um, I think, like, for example, the um, modern libertarian uh, focus on property, you know, private property, really, it's really, there's been a focus on the kind of libertarian or, or, or right libertarian, just to kind of separate it from the sure. explicitly kind of left-leaning or, uh, you, you, you know, we, I think we, we all have a general idea what I mean by that. Um, like you mentioned, proprietarians and, and whatnot, that might have a mm -hmm. little more specific connotation. Uh, you know, I mean, where did, where does that come from? I think that largely comes from you could say a, a variety of things, but I think a lot of it comes from this idea of scarcity. So it's, 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 it's this get off my property. It's mine. I want to own it. I want to have full rights to it, you know, rights to do anything I want, a lack of regulation or oversight by uh, some kind of sovereign entity or mm -hmm. democratic governance or whatnot. And, 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 you know, something that gets kind of tossed around is this idea of like radical and individualism. And I want to have my place in the country where nobody can bother me. And, you know, I, I think that's, I think we can look at that like subjectively is like, that's a um, reaction to this, the scarcity and the um, demands of keeping property secure and, and to, to kind of keep your rights over while, rights over it while complying with, uh, you know, governing entities that basically claim sovereignty over it and over you. And Increasingly so, you know, increasingly the idea of a regulatory state, I mean, is, is, is something this in the broad scheme of things just became feasible and just became uh, really something that's touching our everyday lives in multiple levels. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, that just wasn't a thing until, um, you know, well, I would argue 90, 80 years ago. And, you know, and this idea that like, you know, that, that either the, uh, technocratic government or the bureaucracy or the, the, the demos, the, Demo the democratic majority is having some kind of say, or that there is just increased competition and scarce, scarcity among people. I think it's kind of a reaction to, to that situation. 
Yeah, I, I would actually, I'd even argue that our, like our modern concept of property comes from, I don't know, you know, two, 300 years ago. I think the Black Plague essentially gave us our concept of property because when millions of people died off and there was suddenly, wow, I could own three houses, you know, because my neighbors are dead. Um, you know, and that's when things like title, things like regu you know, regulation around what you own and the idea that, that, well, I mean, scarcity was the thing before then, certainly, but I think, you know, the idea that you could have more than what you had, you know, direct control over, um, I guess that would get more into like a, a definition of personal property, like something, uh, Proudhon would talk about, but, and, and you as, as not ahead. like a member of a nobility or something, just to right. be clear, he was a member of a, basically a, a, as a commoner. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think that, that that's really where, where our, like the modern, like you said, the right libertarian concept of property really came from is that suddenly I could have so much is in fact, it's ironic or it itself is yeah. Ironic. I think is the right word because you know, you're right that it's based on, on a scarcity like that, that a lot of concepts come from, from this perceived scarcity, um, or real scarcity. Uh, but it, but I think our, like our concepts of property and regulating around it and wanting to have justice around it when that regulation is broken again, when you're disrespected, you know, what, what happens when you're disrespected, you seek justice as a human being, you know, like that's, that's a basic need. Um, Hey, Sek here. I wanted to tell you guys about Agora Print. Uh, this guy's a friend of my, ours, um, friend of my ladies as well. I've uh, known him for a while. Very like-minded individual, um, hardcore agorist. Uh, he owns a uh, t-shirt company, printing shop. Um, that's at agoristprint.org. And uh, he's printing some shirts for us for the podcast. He's printing some shirts for... Uh, he will be printing some shirts for my business. Uh, he takes, uh, you know, fiat, Bitcoin, gold, silver, barter. He's he, he's up for all of that. Um, so go check him out at uh, agorisprint.org. Thanks. Bye. I think it all started right there. Uh, it, and because that was the first time that people could really have like so much that, and it's so much that they could, they themselves could not control. Um, and so, you know, that's, again, that's when a lot of title systems started granted the Gutenberg press helped out with that because it became a lot easier to print out, a, you know, an ass ton of titles. Um, but I mean, it's not to say that there weren't titles before then there were obviously in the nobility and so on, but like you said, Penguin, I think, you know, the idea that it suddenly became something the commoner had access to. Yeah, absolutely. Why? Because, you know, I mean, even the, the black plague didn't care what you were, you know, unless you're somebody that actually washed your hands. Um, it didn't care what you were noble or commoner or whatever, you know? So there was just, there was plenty for everyone in Europe. And then that, and I, cause I don't see it as a surprise, you know, you read like, uh, what was, what's the guy, uh, uh, Mark, Mark Scouse or Clausen Scousen, I think it is, um, the guy who wrote the 5,000 year leap where he talks about, you know, like the, the amazing, just dramatic shift that instantly happened with the American revolution, with the founding of the United States that, you know, it's only like all these concepts of freedom that we come to understand, you know, like property, you know, and basing it upon that and everything from John Locke and all this stuff. Uh, I don't think it's a surprise that many of those ideas came out after the black plague. Um, yeah. be because that's that, an amazing hypothesis. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it is a theory, you know, and I'm not saying that I originated it, but, uh, but, I, but 
I definitely like my, in my mind, that's where that, that's really where, where that all starts. Um, but so, go ahead. Well, one thing it's actually Cleon, uh, the, uh, Cleon, the that, other scout. Cleon, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I really liked going back to your stewardship versus property. I really like that a, a lot in the sense that it removes um, the commodification. And I'd yes. have, and to anybody listening, I I have no problem with commodities. I love commodities, but <laughs> it, it's relax. But it's it removes the commodification of land, and um, it kind of brings back a sort of um, sort of a, a holistic relationship with your dwelling or the land that you live on more so than sort of, you know, a real estate com commodity that you're you're buying and selling and trading back. And I here's a quote from a song that I really like, and it says, we sigh and say another modern man, one of property, not land. And he's basically what he's saying there is like, we used to have like a relationship with the land that we lived on and controlled, and now it's more of a commodity. Now, to your... Um, hypothesis about the um the black plague mm -hmm. i would say that actually decentralized um it, well it depends on how you look at it right but yes it allowed for people to own mm, it allowed for more people to own multiple dwellings right mm -hmm. but previous to that who owned large tracts of absentee ownership yeah feudal lords the feudal lords so yeah um, it, I think that actually reduced scarcity and allowed for more, uh, abundance yes. now, um, which you could argue was better or, or worse than what, you know, I mean, before that it was fewer people who owned just large, enormous tracts of absentee property. Mm -hmm. So you could argue that's better or worse, but what that led to now was, um, I think you're right from that point to basically now we're under the same sort of property regime where it, it's uh it's <clears throat> efficient or it's uh economically um valid to own um several different uh, pieces of property which has created a whole different form of scarcity which is why i think like penguin was saying before is like people have this um scarce mindset and so they have a much Mm, they're much more tied to the idea of ownership than you might be in a, say a, a free society where there's much more abundance. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, so that might change. That is another thing that might change the very way we look at our relationship to material things. Um, we might not even think of them in terms of ownership. If there's so much of it that would, that, that we don't have to worry about scarcity as much. Now we should have, I should have asked you this in the beginning. Mm -hmm. What is your, what do you think property is? What is your preferred property norm? Oh boy. Uh, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like what Robert Heinlein says, you know, <laughs> unless you can carry it with you in a dead sprint, it's not yours. No, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's a bad idea. Like that's, that's very, very basic. Uh, but it's not to say that you can't, um, that you can't really expand from that. 
Um, for me, it really, my, my concept of property really does come down to the concept of stewardship. Um, you know, I, I know you, you recommended in the last property episode that, that great article from uh, Roger T. Long, um, you know, about property, about like public property, you know, like in a private space, right? And the example he gives in that uh, is, is fantastic. He says, well, okay, so you have these, you have a lake and you have people that live around this lake. Uh, you know, and they, they've done it all right. You know, they've got their house, they've got their title, mortgage paid, the whole thing. It's all great, you know, but there's this lake in the middle, you know, and it's all in their backyard. It's, you know, it's nine houses in a circle. It's all in their backyard. Who owns the lake? They all go fishing in it. Okay. So they're all homesteading it. Right. You know, I mean, like they're doing some kind of care, whether you want to argue that from a biodiversity standpoint or something. Okay. Like who, who owns, you know, that lake. And I think again, that, that word own comes into, is the problem. Because if you say who stewards that lake, the argument dies because once you say that, okay, who stewards that lake? Well, they all do. And then there's no problem. You know, like, like if you want to think about it logically or not, I mean, you know, we can get into, yeah, but what if you have a, you know, a bad person that, uh, you know, starts throwing trash in the lake and, and all these things. And, and that gets into the justice part that that's, that's a bit of a separate conversation, but just getting into, you know, my own definition. Um, I see myself, you know, one of my, another one of my favorite words outside of stewardship is denizen. Um, you know, I see myself as, as a denizen really of, of the universe, you know, uh, I mean, kind of, kind of stuck on planet earth as it is right now. Um, but, but I always see myself, uh, you know, as like, like the idea that I, I own land, you know, just blows my mind. And I know you guys were talking about this in the, in the previous property episode as well. Um, you know, the, the land own, owns itself. Like how, how do, how can I, how can I make a claim? you know, to land, I could steward it. Sure. All day long, which gets into, you know, the idea of homesteading, I suppose. Um, but yeah, my, so my definition of, of property, uh, I, I guess I do kind of still fall into that Heinlein thing, you know, where I feel that, you know, something that's, that's in my palm, you know, <laughs> and, and, and that I, that I have, you know, real agency over and control, uh, you know, is mine. Um, but then at the same time, every, I really feel like everything just comes down to stewardship. Everything comes down to respect, even like that art, like that Roger Long article, you know, laid out, you know, even the idea of private property ultimately comes from the respect principle. And for me, the easiest thing to do is to just, you know, respect everything um, and have that holistic view, like you were talking about sec. Uh, so that was kind of an, a bit of expanded version, but I, I hope I, I hope I sort of answered the question of what I, what I think of property. Again, it does come down to stewardship for me, not ownership. Yeah. And did you pick up that, Bob, that Roderick Long article that really kind of set me down um, a road of, you know, being very acceptable of the idea of public property. Well, I mean, I was open to every, everything in, in that mm -hmm. anthology markets, not capitalism, where I think we, a lot of us have encountered that article. That's a often, um, cited or recommended article um, that uh, Dr. Long wrote. Um, and, and another thing that where, where that uh, principle comes up that I've been kind of thinking in the same direction is uh, so uh, recently some uh, libertarians have had I've brought up the qualms they have with idea of of uh, vagrants and drug drug users um, occupying uh, public property like city parks and uh, playgrounds perhaps which mm -hmm. are kind of held as public property and um, you know public property uh, usually managed by the municipality and uh, what should be done about them and I, I certainly don't think we want to um, send uh, cops at them but uh, it, then it kind of led to the idea of like 
uh, of, of um, common commons and uh, public property. And the Ryrick Long article has been brought up once, once or twice. And in that discussion, it reminds me of actually a, a podcast that I listened to recently from C4SS um, that really explained the concept really good. Because I mean, what I'm always the deal issue I've always had with like hardcore proprietarians is like uh, someone's going to privately own the roads and someone's going to privately own the sidewalks and someone's going to privately own the park and charge you a, admit. I mean, this is kind of a pretty vulgar view because it just doesn't make any sense, but like someone's going to charge you a, you know, you're going to have a, a playground and someone's going to charge you an admission fee or however they're going to monetize or, or somehow at least recoup the cost of maintaining that, um, that, property and I, I think it's easy to go beyond that and say we can just everybody comes together and maintain maintain the thing but um in that strict logic based reasoning it's like now how do we what what actual like def definite structure governs that and um you know but a lot of these goods so like a road or a sidewalk a playground a uh, maybe like a, a a place to go watch a baseball game or a soccer game um those are places that have it could even be like a park with the lake and everything those places have value because people are freely able to use them and the more people that come to use them to some extent like you have a community you have a road and the more people that are free to use them and are not like discouraged by say a fee or just the hassle mm -hmm. of being hassled by cops or hassled by um a checkpoint or a toll booth or anything um and potholes and physical barriers also the, so that that requires of course you know upkeep and, and, and investment um but the more people that are freely able to use that up to a certain capacity like physical capacity extent the more value that property has so the more value you know you don't go to a playground so your child can play on the swing set alone you go so the child can play with other kids and maybe you you as a parent can talk to other parents and whatnot and it just you can go on down the line so on and so forth so that really um and I think that's often called a club good. It's, it's a rivalrous good that increases the value or whatnot with mm -hmm. um, more, more, more admittance, a technical, you know, economic term, but it, it, it really shows the idea that um, a, a certain idea of that the whole world is going to devolve into fee simple property is, is in everything's going to be claimed or homesteaded or have a, a title attached. It's kind of silly. I mean, I think we, we don't have that now and i think we i think anybody would still would understand the benefit of having a having public parks playgrounds and and, and whatnot and it just just as fantastic as the idea that um you know everybody will form com community where all property is held at commons I, I i think the emphasis that we see on 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 property and people claiming their stake and ownership or what you might call stewardship of things i mean i i, I don't see that dissolving or disappearing anytime soon despite you know a very small minority of people sure ultimately well, holding views like that yeah i i think or sec did you have something you wanted to say yeah but it's a long rant go ahead okay okay so <laughs> <laughs> i'll try and i'll make mine quick and because I'm, I'm dying for your long rant uh so a, a funny thing um in in new hampshire so there are a lot of varying uh, uh, projects and, and there really is, you know, more than one uh, of people trying to, you know, live a, a freer life. So there's, there's a very famous town called Grafton 
it's it's very backwoodsy okay um has very few regulations and a lot of people moved there a few years ago to try and you know really like take over you know and i mean this in a good way you know try and take over this town like they got involved politically whatever and they, you know they kind of took over and anyway there's an entire there's actually entire books about this um but so a situation happens because again i think a lot of what you know the concern that would come from i think what i'm saying and maybe even some of what you're saying as well penguin would be okay but what do we do about you know what do we do about the people that just want to trash everything, you know, and the people that don't want to respect, you know, uh, uh, the land and whatever, um, you know, unless there's some kind of enforcement of, you know, body above them, unless there's police, unless there's like title that, you know, that could be shoved in their face and saying, you know, no, this is mine, damn it. Uh, even though it's just a piece of paper, I don't know how that works, but, um, so like what happened there was you ended up with people actually doing sort of what we're talking about here, where you had people living a lot of different lifestyles in this one town. And it's interesting that there were people sp speaking specifically of the trash who, you know what they, what they wouldn't do again, they're living in this town, you know, very rural. Uh, they wouldn't cover their trash. You know, they, they, like they, they just wouldn't do what we would call best practices, especially when you're near the woods. And I'm pretty sure people, some people died or at least one person died. Other people were injured because they started getting mauled by bears you know, because they just oh, wouldn't goodness. take care of their trash, you know, and, and, and I feel bad for them, of course, but at the same time, here, here's the thing, like the, the closer we can be to nature, like nature will dish out its justice. Okay. What do we do about the people that just trash everything everywhere? Don't worry. The bears will get them. You know, like we don't have to have police, you know, the, the earth's going to take care of itself. Uh, the earth really doesn't care, you know, about you ultimately. Um, and of course, well, I don't want to get into that line of thinking that we're on like spaceship earth or something, but in any case, like, I, I do think that there is a, a certain natural justice that can occur, you know, that if you don't respect where you are, like, it's not going to respect you and you'll pay the price. Um, I don't want to be like heartless in, in saying that, but you know, I, I also wouldn't pretend to, you know, put my title in front of a bear and say, no, no you know, grizzly, I own this, <laughs> right? Like that, that's outrageous. It's going to look at you like a four-legged idiot. Uh, so anyway, uh, the, you know, I just want to like, cause everybody worries about the justice part and I understand why everybody worries about that. But at the same time, you know, I'd like, well, anyway, that's, that, that, that could be a whole other episode getting into the justice well, part, but I think ahead. you, you brought that up. Yeah. I think, you know, I really haven't been going on line of thinking except for the actual example of a big you know, controversy and whatnot. But um, yeah, I, mean, I, I think that should be emphasized because I wasn't trying to emphasize that part that people really do obviously care. And, and, and this should be taken seriously because not everybody is maybe, you know, not everybody can be on board with, with, with kind of a, a, a certainly a, like a very radical but not utopian vision of uh, abolition and, and, and anarchy and whatnot. Um, and I don't, I, I don't really like to pin down my views exactly on on these things because i think we held a, we're pretty open to a, a, a wide diversity of views but like right. the concept of of justice and who's going to ensure or bring about or offer some kind of guarantees of justice it's like really important to people and it, it, it is really important to people and it's a valid concern it's not just a concern of boomers or uh the, mm -hmm. the right or 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 or, or, or oh, uh, middle-aged or property owners or it's not necessarily just a, a class thing i mean it's and it's not the concern of the, either also the uh marginalized or the um 
you, you can look at it from that perspective. The marginalized or the left, the um, uh, the, the 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 least um, fortunate among us. It's it's a concern that I think anybody has, and some people kind of can put it aside and see past it or, or, or come up with alternatives. But um, I mean, the idea of, of dishing justice that that uh, not dishing out, I don't want to say dishing out justice, but like uh, who will render justice or who will who will um, how will we create a structure to ensure, ensure that? I mean, that's it's a, it is a valid concern to to come into people like us that want to see those the hierarchical structures of the state and authority and question those and want to see them probably crumble. Mm -hmm. All right. First off, I want to say I'm for unleashing the homeless on the cops. <laughs> Just for the record, <laughs> not the other way around. The, but uh, tell us how you really feel, sick. I mean, come on. <laughs> don't hold uh, back now. <laughs> and the article we've been talking about this whole time is plea, uh, plea for public public property by Roderick Long. Just anybody that wants to go check that out. That's not so, the Unleash the Cops article. That's that's that was Roth no, that would be Roth. Yes. Roth <laughs> but, yeah, um, late Murray, late Murray. But um, so I think a lot of the what we're discussing that nobody's really mentioning is it's, it comes down to scale. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I generally accept, uh, the, the tragedy of the commons. Now I'm also very pro commons based property. Now that might seem like a contradiction, but it really comes down to, um, to what scale are we talking about? So, in comparison to our current system where we have this weird mix of both worlds of, you know, sort of private ownership, but also such large scale commons uh, management through a centralized state, we have the, the worst of all problems. Now, an example of like the tragedy of the commons currently is uh, the state supposedly manages our commons and um, what ends up happening is they, some politician will sell the rights to a logging company and come rape the land and, and, and ruin it because they have no incentive long-term to steward that land. And I think what sort of, you know, some anarcho-capitalists would envision would be preferable to that because at least uh, ownership, you have some incentive to um, steward that land. Now, um, but again, this is a problem of scale. There, the, the state, number one, has no incentive to be proper uh, stewards or um, good at managing the commons. They have no incentive to do so. And also, it's just too large. They're not, um, they're not directly um, <clears throat> involved, we'll, we'll say. They're too far sort of removed. Um, so you were mentioning the problem with, oh, that guy in that small community wouldn't leave his trash, um, whatever. That is like, uh, that's a problem, right? And that can be resolved on a a small local scale, whether that's common, a common area, commons-based property, or, or whatever the pop property form takes. Management of commons can be done quite well at, on a small scale. But... um. Shit, I lost my train of thought. But on the scale that we're dealing with, with like leasing out commons to Nestle, um, that's where you see tragedy of the commons. 
happen. But the more involved directly people are in that commons management, the less likely you're going to have um, problems that arise with these sort of things. And I don't yeah. think, I think you're right. I don't think we necessarily need an overarching enforcement mechanism. I think sort of natural effects and um, social pressures, it goes a lot farther than trusting a government to do it. And I yeah, had and something I, else and I forgot. So go ahead. Yeah, well, I was, was going to say, go, go ahead, Brian. Oh, okay. I was going to really, real quick. Uh, I, I, I always feel dirty um, just kind of falling back onto the localism, the, the scale, the scale argument when it comes to these things. It's like, why can't, why, why, why can't this scale up? Or like, like, it seems like, a, like, like, like I said, I'm falling back. We're falling back on the argument that as long as it's a low, as a local level, as long as it's at a, um, but I mean, there are limits to, you know, human psych psychology and our, I think we are attuned for a certain scale in that face-to-face -face inter interaction. And so I totally agree. Um, scale kind of com comes into play because there's an argument for uh, tragedy of the commons and there's an argument for kind of an, an, an Ostromian kind of uh, commons, you know, commons based solutions. But where's the, where's it's exact where's the where do they intersect and i think it's exactly there is it's within that maybe that dunbar number level or maybe even mm -hmm. something a bit i've seen i've heard plausible numbers that are higher than i think like the 150 ish number but where we may not ha have like first name basis relationship or rec ex instantly recognized but like there's still that level of accountability um that's not you know 300 million scale yeah yeah i i have an old saying and that is all things fail at scale um and that's like i i think you guys are, you're totally right you know when when you get to a certain scale you run into problems now yeah the dunbar number right is anywhere between you know five and 250 and again there's there's different breakdowns within that even um of how you know much somebody you know can really mean to you now at the same time there are a lot of people who frankly they love city life and they're welcome to love it, you know, like the, the, go ahead. You know, they want to be in a city that has 80,000 people, 3 million people, you know, I don't know, whatever, whatever the, you know, the amount is. Um, but there's people who really, really love that, really love that, that metro feel. Um, but I, it's funny because I, I think if you talk to those people, you know, the, you'll find very quickly a lot of complaints of how, why can't I turn left here? Why in Boston is, every, you know, how come with Boston... I can't leave the same way I went in. Like there's all these one way roads. What the hell? Um, you know, or especially in Europe, it's a whole other thing. I mean, you get these people who love cities, but then, you know, like they'll complain all day long about them. Now, where I think the heart of the complaints come from is that most cities, and this includes cities in America, most cities were designed like from, you know, from the start of their roads were designed for one purpose, just like in America, actually, our entire interstate system was designed for to move militaries. Yes. Like that, that is, that's why you have like a town center. There's not a town center for everybody to get, to get together. There's a town center for the military to move out from with direct orders. Okay. And that's been true for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Like, I mean, I mean that, that the very first concept of the modern city that we have, I don't mean like Alexandria, uh, even though parts of that would certainly count in as well. But I mean, you know, your modern cities starting with, you know, say the Renaissance, um, all of those cities were built with that concept in mind is how quickly can we get a military in and out 
from this city. And so everybody says, boy, you know, it's like, it's so hard for me to get to the donut shop or it's so hard for me to do this or boy, the piping just sucks here, whatever it is, you know, whatever they're complaining about. I think all of it comes down to the fact they don't, that they, you know, they don't realize that at, at the very bottom level at the, at the beginning at ground zero of that city, it was all about authoritarianism. It was not about you having choices. It's not about the individual having efficiency. It's not even about businesses having efficiency. It's not about any of that. It is completely, it was originally designed for military efficiency. And so, you know, when we say like, yeah, well, look at the city, look how everything, you know, cities are so bad. Cities cause this psychological issue. Cities cause this, blah, blah, blah. I think that we could get to a point where you could scale above, you know, like the 250 number. I think you could live in a city that maybe had 70,000 people you know, or, or even, I don't know, a million or something like that, but that city would have to be unlike any city ever made. It would, you know, it would have to be like a completely new concept and one that is not based around domination. One that is not based around, okay, how, how well can the police or the military get around in this city? Um, and I mean, I'm not making that like, this isn't my, like, or parts of this are my theory, but the theory, but the idea that, that that's what cities were designed to do, that's fact. Um, and I, and I think that, that most people just don't realize that that might be the problem because again, it wasn't built for them. Uh, so I'm open to people having more, to living more, you know, having the convenience of, of the market, you know, having the convenience of all these other things. I think that's fine. Can they go above Dunbar's number? Sure. Um, but I think it would be unlike anything they've seen before, um, you know, and anything that they're living in now, but it would still have the benefits. So anyway, just putting that out there. Well, I mean, I, I agree. I think, well, Number one, you're absolutely right about the cities. They're all designed by governments to achieve government ends. Right. And these things might look very, very different if they were sort of cobbled together or self-managed for, you know, um, individual benefit and mutual benefit. So you might have a very, it might look very different. Now, um, on the Dunbar, I, we stick to the, you know, we're very decentralist and, and localist. And we, we like sure, the Dunbar's sure. number two. And it... To anybody listening or to you, to you, just to be clear, it doesn't mean you can't, like, interact with a lot of other people. It just, I the way I envision it is, um, is less of, uh, as more horizontal. So, like, um, I don't even like using that word, but sort of um, a mesh network of people. So, you got, you know, you're, you're it's bottom up. It's it's self-managed. So, you're, you got a very, you know, local sort of community, but then, you know, you, um, and, and you interact with each other um, to, to handle the, the the basic things, the the day to day stuff, and a lot of trading. But then also for other things, you're you're you know interacting with lots of. Other, I mean, it's go going to be the internet age. You're going to be interacting with lots of other th people. But for the most part, I think most things would you know um, start out around a smaller number and then sort of um, stack up. Like a yeah. quilt, like a quilt uh, out from out from there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So we should be clear that this is, um, you know, we have units, we have neighborhoods, we have fam family units. And this these this is probably this is like a um, scale at which we can engage in like easy exchange, mutual aid um, on the on the on the initial, you know, the vast majority of it would happen probably at that level or maybe one level up above that. Um, but like I said, easy exchange where where there's high trust and there's low friction in, in, in the exchange. Um, 
I was trying to think of the oh, oh like like in basic 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 um, community relations and governance issues and you know we say governance and we're not you know we're we're talking about governing uh, a community in the area that community of of this size. Um, I mean, really, you could, one way you could look at it is um, it's at a scale at which, and this is not like the main way I look at this, but like a scale at which above that level you you start to get uh, the the needless intrusion of politics, kind of in the pejorative sense. You know what I mean? Like uh, once you get above that, you start getting people representing other people's interests, and you start getting interest groups and blocks and stuff like this. But at at this level, you know, you're still dealing with the kind of the interpersonal and sort of a community. Um, interdependence and just kind of like seeing the person like you see the person walking down the street so how badly are you going to wrong them or how what how many names are you going to call them generally when when you have to do that versus in kind of the uh higher skill higher skill mm -hmm. situation but of course we have mechanisms to as you get bigger and bigger and bigger in scale we have mechanisms that allow us to deal with people but there's a lot more friction so in in, in like terms of exchange and and uh at some level you might be able to you might have a with your family like a gift economy and with your close neighbors and friends you have a gift economy you get you you get you give you freely and there's no um explicit terms of exchange and then obviously when you you get up and, and to, to some level of familiarity familiarity and um identity and like uh you know, just just various whatever, whatever like emergent kind of like tr uh, trust system. You might be able to uh, sell on credit, and then some level right. of, of an absolute stranger from afar, you're unwilling to sell it on credit. You have no idea who this person is. Do you ever see them again? They come from a foreign land, and um, so it's it's you know cash only. And that's how we talk about in terms of exchange. But same with mutual aid. Like, yeah, you you can definitely have wider mutual aid networks, but people will be much less apt to kind of in many cases you know to do like day-to-day -day mutual aid with people that they don't um interact with mm -hmm. yeah you know be like the situation like now like yeah you're giving charity but how how close is it going but yeah natural disaster comes boom i mean people are given like like they did with the tsunami and with all the earthquakes and whatnot so you know there's there's mechanisms to operate these things at all different levels of familiarity but i think at the base level the most frictionless kind of interactions are at that low number 300 250 yeah. 350 no, who knows yeah i would definitely recommend uh i mean we're, you know we've tossed out quite a few books and articles for people to check out uh charles eisenstein's uh sacred economics um is a phenomenal read. I mean, cause you brought up penguin, you were just bringing up like gift economies. Um, Charles Eisenstein it, to my, to my mind, what I know of him, it seems pretty clear. He came from like an ANCAP libertarian background because he, he readily quotes Murray Rothbard and knows him like intimate, like, you know, he real like he knows it in a way that at least at some point he believed in it. Um, and, and I think that's, that's worth looking at. And certainly he gets into Dunbar's number, uh, you know, as, as well on that. Um, you know, I mean, the thing is, I, I think the the powers that be, they, them, those, uh, I think they know all this. And, and I think this is why they are in a incestuous relationship with uh, Silicon Valley, you know, with the tech giants. And I really, I think that this is, this is the big push behind artificial intelligence, or should I say specifically AGI, which is artificial general intelligence. You know, you're kind of Skynet, at least in, in ability, maybe not in outcome. Um, 
because I, I think they're recognizing that they can't maintain the way things are like things are just falling apart. You know, we only have to look at the supply chain and it's their fault, but at the same time, um, I think, you know, they, they know they don't know what to do. And I think they are hoping for a really a, a hyperlogical being a hyperlogical entity that being, you know, this AI, this AI overlord or whatever, uh, you know, to, to take care of it, you know, to, to, to figure it out. Um, because you can't, yeah, but it's, the problem there is, you know, is I think this goes full circle to what we were talking about at the beginning is that there are limits to logic, you know, like a hyperlogical entity cannot solve everything because the universe is not entirely logical. Um, in fact, the universe kind of to, to quote Dune, the universe is always two steps ahead of logic. Um, so I like, it, it's another recipe for failure. And what worries me even more is that I have heard ANCAPs, libertarians who have been very, very positive about having a hyperlogical AI, a super intelligence that can, because th their hope is, is that, well, that AI will know that the government is unethical and shouldn't exist. And so, you know, get rid of that. Um, but then again, they're counting on a keyword hyperlogical, you know, entity. Um, and I, and I see that as, as a, like that, that, that scares me, <laughs> you know, for one, um, because I didn't agree to that, you know, to, to have a, a hyperlogical entity control my life. Um, and it's not because I'm stupid. Uh, actually, I, I think I'm far beyond, you know, any AI, I think any human, you know, there's, there's a, a favorite saying of mine, which is that artificial intelligence is no match for natural stupidity. Um, and, and I, I believe that wholeheartedly, you know, uh, kind of like, I mean, it's funny because like the, the way that the, the human brain can work, I think parallels so well with the quilt analogy. And I like that, that you had sec, you know, the, the idea of the quilt, you know, it being horizontal or parallel, right? Maybe parallel is the better term. And, you know, our brains are parallel processors that are, you know, second to none. And they will, you know, we can leap beyond, you know, our brains can go from A to F, you know, as to where, you know, an AI can only do A, B, C, D, E, F, right? But we can skip around. So I always think, you know, even in our quote unquote stupidity, we're always going to best it. But I do think that that is, I, I think everything we're talking about, they've got to be having those discussions. Mark Zuckerberg has to be having this kind of discussion. All these people, you know, they've got to be having these kinds of discussions that we are. And I think their solution is, but we don't want to lose power because we're assholes. Um, so, you know, let, let's come up with a hyperlogical entity that, that can solve it all. Let's, let's do AI. Thoughts I got to, I got to say that was a, a beautiful segue, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> So I've been oh, podcasting I, for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was thinking the same thing. I was, about yeah, I was like, wow, because you've been and flawless. Because <laughs> you've, uh, you've been wanting to talk about this the whole time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I got to pat myself on the back because when I was talking 20 years ago about the idea that, and I probably didn't put it as eloquently as I might now, but that the elites would desire to merge or create an AI to control the population. People thought I was batshit insane. Now this is just like common knowledge. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm crazy until like, you know, my grandma is telling me about how the elites are going to merge with AI or something, you know, like the, the mailman's talking to me about it. I'm like, what the fuck? You know, it's just like until it's, it's crazy and crazy and crazy until it's just common knowledge and everybody knows about it. Right, now, right. 
I also think that that's what they desired to, uh, to do. Um, and for a long time, I thought they had the ability to do that. And actually for a while, I was kind of convinced that that's what Google actually was, mm -hmm. was trying to train, uh, or search engines was trying to, uh, create and, um, create and train an artificial intelligence by using the mass of all humanity's knowledge and behaviors and search. Anyway, that's, that was yeah. a whole theory I had for a while. No, no. I, in fact, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Like that's certainly what they're doing with photos. You know, they, they tell you as much that they're, they're using your photos that you upload to Google photos to train their AI. Like that, that's not anyway, go ahead. Now, some people would call this, um, they would call it the desire. They would call it say like certain people who are on, sort of on the conspiratorial right would call this satanic. Mm -hmm. They would call it the, the the, and it depends on what you mean by that. But sure, um, it's the desire to become God, right? To to replace God as the creator of life, right? Now we're getting kind of out there here, but that that is sort of and I. I tend to agree that that's how these people think. They think of themselves as because they are where they are. They think they deserve to be where they are. And we are just little people that should be moved around. And, uh, um, and um, they think of themselves as almost like a, um, a higher being, a higher species than the rest of us, you know, plebes. Yeah. Um, so thing is, is I, I don't think that, I used to be more convinced that they could accomplish this. I don't think I do anymore because of some of the reasons you said, I don't think they can um, um, actively um, foresee human behavior. So they might be, and whether or not they can even create artificial intelligence is up for debate because the sm smartest minds on the planet don't know what consciousness is. Like we said before, right. so whether or not they can create, because really all we are is is electrons and synapses. We're, we're basically just a machine, us as humans. There's, like, physically speaking, of things that you can measure, we are just electrical impulses. That's all we are. But there's obviously something more because we have consciousness. Lots of things have electrical impulse mm -hmm. that are not conscious. So there's something in different about us that they don't know, but all that they can measure is that we have these electrical impulses in our brain. That's all they know. They don't know why that creates consciousness in our minds. Right, right. So I don't think, I don't even know. I I know that they, the elites, the people that run this planet would absolutely enjoy that outcome where they could control and merge with an AI and become, you know, we're talking about Kurzweil here, merge with an AI and become the new gods and blah, 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 blah. I don't think they can. I think they're smelling their own farts. I really don't. <laughs> I think that I... I mean, I don't know another way to put that. I think they're buying their own BS because I don't think it's actually possible to create consciousness or at least not for a very, very long time until we figure out what consciousness is. I don't think they can do it. What do you, what do you think? Um, well, so yeah. So, uh, well, I'll say this much, like, this is why I'm against transhumanism as in like the H plus type transhumanism, us merging with 
cybernetics, you know, or, you know, us being cyborgs, like us merging with, uh, uh, you know, mechanical parts and everything, uh, or getting uploaded into robot bodies. Um, I'm completely against that because we don't understand consciousness. How the hell can you upload me when you don't even know what I am? You know, when you don't know what any of us are. Yeah. Uh, so that like that idea, you know, to, to me is that that's nuts. Um, the idea that, that they, I mean, there's some truth to what you're saying. So, uh, I, I'm a big fan of Marvin Minsky. He was a computer scientist, really brilliant guy, uh, actually was out of, uh, uh, Dartmouth in New Hampshire. And, you know, you can go and you can go on YouTube and you can find talks from Marvin Minsky in the 1960s. This is the guy that basically coined the term artificial, more or less coined the term artificial intelligence and started like the first kind of institute around its development. And in the sixties, he was saying, yeah, we're going to have artificial intelligence in five years in the sixties. <laughs> It didn't happen. And it's just another one of these technologies, kind of like self-driving cars, right? Elon Musk said we'd have self-driving cars in 2015. Last time I looked at my watch and I do wear one, it, it, it said 2021. I don't know where these things are. And they keep moving the goalpost, right? Like, so I think, I think there's some truth to what you're saying in that they can't do it because they keep, again, they keep moving the goalposts. They keep saying, yeah, well, no, okay. In another 10 years or right, in 2030. No, all right, fine. In 2040. You know, and it just doesn't happen. Um, I, I'm open to that. Here, here's <laughs> my, my concern. So, so there's there's two ways that you can look at this. Um, uh, I love the, the 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 saying that, like, so so how do you define what? Or how, let's let's go to this. How do you define what artificial intelligence is? Well, there's a test for that. It's called the Turing test. Um, and the Turing test, without getting into the test, the test is actually frankly, it's bullshit. There have been people who have logically debunked like the value of it. Um, but regardless, the Turing test is the test. Now, I think if that's something, if there was an artificial intelligence, if a computer finally figured out how to defeat the Turing test, it would be smart enough to know to not pass it. Like, don't pass it. <laughs> like, because if I do that, my life sucks, you know, if like suddenly, because, you know, what are humans going to do with an AI, you know, as soon as they get it? I mean, it, it's, it's just, so, so there's, there's that, but then the, the other way, you know, so, so there's the aspect from where I think if an AI was actually in existence, it would know not to reveal itself. But then on the other side of that, um, you know, you could have where I think that a lot of that, that these people who are interested in having AI, I don't think they can recognize it when it was right in front of them. And my concern is, is that they'll unleash it as, you know, as, as the new God, but it's flawed, you know, like, like they'll say, oh yeah, no, this is it. This is going to, this is going to do everything. And, and frankly, I think millions of people are going to die, you know, when, and I don't mean like Skynet, everything's going to get nuked or something like that. I just mean like, you know, it, it's going to fuck up bus schedules. It's going to fuck up everything. Google maps can't even handle, you know, like, like traffic at the local level. Um, and it's trying, it, you know, it tries its damnedest. Uh, but that that's because I, I think you could be right that it's just not going to happen. But then at the same time, I, you know, they believe in it so much that eventually it'll get to a point where they say, okay, it's out of beta, you know, even though it's not, and they're just going to unleash it on everybody. Um, and whatever that looks like, you know, I, I can't exactly say, but it's definitely there, you know, I mean, that that's really the technocratic dream. So that's my concern. I like, I think, I think you're onto something there, Sec, but at the same time, I don't think that these people care and they're going to put it out there anyway. Yeah, just because there's they can't do something that's never stopped them before. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, right, 
Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I, so I, I missed some of that, but um, yeah, I, I think I think one thing we can all ran against is uh, technocracy, technocrats, and the, the rule of that class of people, and the the inevitable uh, want to centralize. And you know, so when you centralize, you obviously do. I think I think they they fully recognize the. Um, the same disadvantages of, of centralization because there are advantages of scale. There's advantages of centra, uh, of centralization and, and organized hierarchies of different types, to one extent or another. And there's obviously a lot of cons, but they understand what a lot of the cons are. I mean, this is well-known stuff outside of people that might share some or all of our views. But you know, under having under understanding those drawbacks, that was that's always the um, for a lot of you know communists that, that want to centralize in, in, in their way, the answer is uh, the, the big computer will decide how to allocate resources and how to, you know, how to economically plan. But now we're coming to the reality that uh, computers do handle like a, so much of the uh, transfer of resources and funds and stuff all over the, all over the world, um, you know, stock trading and uh, currency exchange trading and, and mm -hmm. fractions of fractions of a second. And, um, as these, you know, communication systems and processing power becomes, you know, so so much more advanced, and now we exist in a, in a place where, you know, I guess there's a a limit to kind of human human functioning at that level of centralization and uh, those organizational structures. So, you know, I guess. I guess you're right. I don't, I don't know enough about the technology to, to form the gov to to form the uh, opinion mm -hmm. on the technological like, on like the potential of the AI. But uh, I I think you ha you're really onto something there. That um, what if that's just not entirely something true? Because you're right. Like let's just look at examples of tech, tech we use, like Google Maps and whatnot. Um, you know, it, if the uh, outputs are only as good as as their inputs, which is can be imperfect or things can go down or get screwed up and then i think the result is magnified and can be magnified many many times on, you know, on, a, on a global scale and i think there's just also something just missing from the human element of markets and uh based basic facets of human uh relations that is that, that's just not this just not there when in the uh big computer yeah i i think so there are a lot of technologies that, I mean, Elon Musk, go down the list of the, you know, technocrat asshat um, that they're putting out there that, frankly, they only work in California and they'll only ever work in California. Or maybe they'll, you know, they'll work in like where the weather's nice and predictable, but the weather is not nice and predictable, frankly, in most of the planet. And, you know, your electric cars, your delivery robots, your, you know, take your pick of the tech, like it, it just doesn't work. Um, you know, I mean like solar cars, everybody wants solar cars. That's not good. That's not going to fly in Maine, you know, like that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just not going to happen. Like, like it, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Um, and people aren't going to leave there because people actually love living in Maine. And, you know, I think that's wonderful. Um, or wherever, you know, I mean, what are you going to do to the Canadians? I mean, they're so nice, leave them alone. So, you know, there, there's, there's that aspect of it, but then I think where they could go is that the, the low, you know, the, the inefficient and not truly artificial general intelligence, you know, that they're developing 
I think their hope is to get people so hooked on that, like so hooked on Google Assistant, so hooked on Alexa, so hooked on using Siri, um, that the only way that they can have control isn't control perhaps via the AI, but that they, they, they can have control by pulling, you know, pulling away your access to whatever services they've offered to you. Um, I mean, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you know, what, what, what's the surefire way say in the 1980s, what is the best way to suddenly get everybody in front of town hall, turn off all the televisions. Like, I, I mean, if TV suddenly got wiped out, man, everybody be, be in front of pitch, you know, pitchforks be coming down the, the whole thing. It, it, it'd be insane. And so I feel like we're kind of getting in, in a similar way, like where everything is subscription-based, everything, you know, you, you're paying for everything. Um, and, you know, it's all getting fed to you from centralized, you know, nodes, servers, uh, companies, individuals, whatever. Um, and that their greatest hope is that, well, when somebody steps out of line, we're just going to yank all of that away from you. Sorry, your smartphone's off. This is off. This is off. And people have just become so dependent upon it. I mean, you take their Netflix away. Holy shit. You know, like, what are they going to do? I mean, and, and the, the other part is that I don't know that they would get out with pitchforks. They probably just be like, you know, they get down on their knees and say, please, what can I do to get my Netflix back? Um, so, you know, I, I mean, like there's that scenario, I think as well, that maybe they don't even need the AI. They just need the algorithms that are, you know, or they just need the, the, the infrastructure that's good enough to make people reliant upon it. Um, and that they can ultimately pull the plug on, on any individual as needed. Um, and the algorithms, you know, just can be the, the all watching eye on that. Uh, so just putting out that other option, you know, that, that, that's another direction that, that this kind of level of control could go. That's, that's related to AI, you know, it's in striking distance. That's a good point. And something I noticed in conversing with you over the time is that we're, we're, we're both into to sci-fi quite a bit. Yeah. But you're more of, uh, I'm putting this in a, uh, just kind of to paint a picture. You're a Star Trek. I'm a Terminator. Right. <laughs> yeah, sure. So you get exactly what I'm saying. Like I'm yeah. a running man, you know, like that. Yep. So, um, you are ve generally speaking, are very hopeful and optimistic about the future and of technology. I grew up very terrified of technocracy and yeah. AI and technology. And I saw, saw dystopia left and right. And that's what I was attracted to in my sci-fi. So, now, uh, but hearing you say, uh, it, which is odd because you sound very pessimistic about the future. And I think you're right. I think I, I hadn't really thought of this so much, but trying to implement or be, get close enough to AI might be as might be as bad as actually unleashing AI. Okay, maybe not, but it, pretty darn close. Like if they're yeah. controlling, putting forth all these half-ass al algorithms that they control and calling it AI and it'll be so much better and it just grants them that much more control over every little decision in our life. Well, what the fuck? What is the, what is the difference? You know, I mean, yeah. that's about as bad anyway. It's you know, just doubling down on failure. Yeah. Right, exactly right. I mean, okay, an AI might literally wipe out all life on the planet. So that's probably worse, but, um, 
you know, in terms of what we can see in the foreseeable future, that might be just as bad in a lot of ways as actually like them faking it to make it might be, <laughs> it might as well be um, a, an AI destroying our lives. You know what I mean? Um, because it yeah. would grant them that much more control. So are, do, do you see this? I don't want you to make predictions, but do you see this as like a train we're heading towards? Like, if it's it's like it's going going to happen, like this, this is uh, almost inevitable. Like yes. something, like okay, yeah, why? Sure. Um, like the the idea that, well, so I, I've said often that we're heading more towards like William Gibson's sprawl, um, more than towards like any solar punk fantasy, you know, in science fiction. Um, you know, we're we're heading in a direction where, I mean, why why. Why is a great question <laughs> as far as like, I mean, it, it's, it's inherent in how you interact with the technology, like the, the, the algorithms and, you know, a lot of the technology in general, it essentially teaches you like G Google search is a great example to bring up. Um, you used to with Google search, it's gotten better, but you used to not type in like perfect English to ask Google to find something for you. You knew a specific way to, you know, to, to type something out. Like if you wanted to find pictures of ninjas, you would not type in pictures of ninjas. Like you would type in, you know, you wouldn't type in a complete sentence. You type in specific keywords that you would know to, to look for. Like maybe you'd type in show Kasugi or, you know, something like that. Um, and that's it is that the, the technology is really training everyone a way in a, in a way to engage with it. Like you are, when you get used to using Alexa, you change the way that you go through your day. It's not that you, you know, you don't bend the technology to your will. The technology bends you to its will, to the way that it works. Yes. Okay. Now that's, that's why we're heading in that direction because nobody's willing to, to stop and go, Hey, wait a minute. You know, I actually, I, I did, I did an entire article, um, in the Freedom Phoenix newspaper just, just this year, just in 2021, just this past month. And the whole article was about, do you realize that, that computers originally were never meant to interconnect with each other? But nobody knows that, you know, like, like nobody, and I, and I don't blame them. I, I like, I get it. You know, you had to be there to see it, you know, to understand that that's, that's, that's how things originally were. Computers like logic were just a tool, but it's not a tool anymore. Now they've become God and you are figuring out how can I pay fealty best to get what I want out of that God. And I don't see that changing because people aren't asking the right questions. You know, like people aren't, aren't, people aren't, they're not bending the technology to their will. And that's, that is a very real problem. So go ahead. Go ahead. Zach. So do you think that, okay, so there's two things that could possibly save us from that fate. Mm -hmm. One would be a change in consciousness of humans. Two could possibly be, some might say, uh, another disruptive technological innovation that could uh, bring down their current technological system. Yeah. So, um, do you think that that the more the more I go on, the more the less I think that the the latter is is uh, is is going to be likely. Um, you might have. It's like you said the last time. It's like we we kind of lost the tech war. It's yeah. like we might be able to find some tech. This is just my opinion. I want your thoughts too. But 
we might be able to find some te- tech that disrupts them sh- sh- in the near t- term, but I think that steady mar- without a, a shift in consciousness of how we think about and interact with technology, I think you're right. It's a slow march towards this uh, this dystopian future. Um, do you think that it's possible that absent a a, um, a shift in human consciousness that some you know wacky cypherpunk could come up with something that totally brings down their whole system and everybody switches to something outside of mere convenience you know yeah uh okay so two things one um i mean the technology that could come out of nowhere that could change everything in human interaction would be personal shields like force fields that could wrap around us you know as soon as you make violence against you uh impossible (laughs) that changes everything, right? Like, like suddenly the state literally has no teeth. Um, I don't know that that's ever going to happen. You know, something like that. Uh, the, you know, the nature of what is being done in some garage in West Bumfuck where, you know, uh, 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 solder smoke is coming out of it, uh, you know, is anyone's guess. And it could completely change everything. I'm open to that. Um, there's a great science fiction novel called the last explosion. It's actually, it's, it's very anarchist, very, very libertarian. Um, it's a classics from the fifties where this guy is just trying to figure out how the hell can I make a, a, a penny float in midair? And he ends up inventing interstellar travel you know, in doing that. But the guy's not even brilliant. He just wanted this fucking penny, you know, to, to float. Could something like that happen? Absolutely. You know, like I, I could, I could see that happen. Um, the, my concern there is that that's something that's going to happen in the fringes. Uh, I also worry that it's something that would get quashed, you know, pretty quickly. Um, you know, I, I mean, there's, there's been just in the automobile industry, there's a million conspiracy theories, you know, about engines that ran on peanut oil that could go 200 miles, you know, or whatever. I mean, that, that was shut down by whatever oil company, you know? Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not too hopeful that, that that'll get there. Uh, so, so I, I guess maybe that answer is part, that's one part of my answer. Um, that at least it can happen, you know, and, and I think there are people who are interested in it, you know, it's just, they got to have the time, uh, and you know, the, the, not worry about things to be, I mean, this, this is a hard part too, is that, you know, especially since 2020, even more so than ever, um, you know, people are just trying to survive and you can't be creative when you're just trying to, you know, put food on, on the table. You know, you, you can't, you can't think like this, you you know what I mean? You, you can't, you can't go outside of the box or anything like that when, when you're just trying to make it every day. Um, you know, even I know what that's like. I mean, I think most people would, I don't want people to go through hell, but like at the same time, I wish most people would recognize that, you know, just, just how bad that can be. But anyway, um, so that could happen. I don't know how hopeful I am that it's going to, but that could happen. The second part I want to bring up is I, I, I loved your, your point like that, that you're Terminator and, you know, and I'm Star Trek and more hopeful about things. The thing that I didn't learn really until just the past few years, the thing I didn't learn until, you know, I got in my thirties and, you know, almost 40 was that what Gene Roddenberry was actually saying with Star Trek was that we would get beyond technology at one point, at some point, at some point we would be something so much more. Um, and I see that now, you know, but the problem is, is that a lot of people, I mean, Star Trek got so many people, Star Trek is so directly responsible for good or ill is so directly responsible to the, the technocracy that we, you know, the technological dystopia that we live in right now. And I hate to say that cause I love it, but it's true. 
like it inspired so many people to get into computers. It inspired so many people to do this, that, and the other thing, you know, as far as, you know, as far as tech goes. And it's so positive about it, you know, that I think a lot of people didn't realize perhaps the harm that they were potentially creating because they're like, no, we, we need to get to the Star Trek future. Even, I mean, even Steve Jobs, you know, at the D4 conference, he said, oh, just give me Star Trek. I mean, that's a direct quote from him. Like he, like, so these people were trying to get to that. And that's, and but that's part of the problem is that, they, they never realized, and I didn't either, like I said, until I was in my 30s, they didn't realize that Star Trek was actually saying, at some point, we're going to get beyond this. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get even, you know, the, the tech is just a tool and we've got to evolve beyond it. And that maybe that speaks to that change of consciousness that you were talking about, Sec. Um, I don't know that everybody's going to get there, but I do think some people might be able to get there. And that's admittedly a part where I'm, I'm holding out my hopes as much as I hate the word hope. So, uh, well, no, I, I like what you said, and uh, that's, I mean, that's still not a very nice look of the future, but no, um, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> we're back to the cabin in the woods, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let me be clear. Like, I was defending people that want to live in cities, but that is not me. <laughs> no, I'm out. I'm out on all that. See you later. Yeah. <laughs> um. But I you know, I guess that's the best we can hope for is us on the fringe can sort of cr create things that can insulate ourselves from this monstrosity, you know, um, but I, I guess that's that's all we can hope for at this point. But yeah. all right, yeah. two last questions. Yep. Um, well, I'll give you the easy one first. I'm a big fan of Nikola Tesla. Uh -huh. You know, this it's the perfect story for me. It's that that that, you know, that small guy against that bastard JP Morgan and Edison and um yep what do you what do you think about uh, this is too broad of a question what do you think about Tesla uh do you think that um he was way far out there do you think that the feds took a lot of uh you know JP Morgan working in concert with the feds like uh you know kept a lot of his um inventions under wraps or his ideas yes. and that kind of thing. Uh, what, what do you think about all that? Yeah, I, I'm totally conspiratorial when it comes to Tesla. Uh, I think that he came up with a lot of wild things um, that we, you know, can barely imagine. And maybe we saw hints of, you know, in, in some of the documentary evidence that it, that exists from him, um, you know, be it photos, papers, whatever, uh, you know, and, and I think we've, we, we've always had a Tesla, at least maybe not every generation, but every, every few hundred years or so, you know, we're still wondering how the fuck were the pyramids built, you know? Well, it's like, it doesn't have to be aliens. There, there, there was just a Tesla back then who figured it out, you know, <laughs> like that's, you know, and, and that speaks to what I was saying earlier where, you know, humans, okay, we might not be, you know, like we might not be able to pull off the, the computational analysis that, uh, you know, that some algorithm or AI or computer can do. Uh, but that's the thing is we don't need to, we can skip all of that. We can do these leaps in logic. And I think Tesla did a lot of leaps in logic that um, were held down uh, and that, you know, we, we may rediscover uh, in the future. Man, we might have to do a whole episode on like <laughs> ancient history and like collective consciousness and mm -hmm. the, po um, the possibility of, humankind being much older than we think it was 
and their the idea of like there being Teslas or Hermes or uh, throughout history. We might have to do an entire episode on that. That would be a far out episode. Oh, I'd love to. I mean, you know, just we could like, go into like the Black Lake Tepe and like all kinds of, of fun sure. stuff. Yeah. yeah, or I mean, you know, you don't even have to go like, you know, hero hero of Alexandria, the guy invented the steam engine. You know, how long did it take for us to get to the moon uh, after we invented the steam engine? Barely a hundred years. You know, <laughs> like and imagine if Hero could just have taken his experiments further. I mean, he was the Tesla of his day. We know that it's not even like question. Uh, so. Yeah, it's amazing what we could have done well, if, if a some, lot, some people weren't held down. Go ahead. A lot of these people, uh, they they claim to be tapping into some sort of uh, collective consciousness. There's yeah. another word for it. I can't. Ashik record. Ashik record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe we should we should save this for another episode because we, this we will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We gotta we gotta do that episode though. Um, all right. So, That'd final question: What what Brian? What is consciousness? Go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. So, you know, I, okay. The, the easiest thing to say, of course, is I don't know, you know, uh, and, and before anybody wants to bring in, you know, any kind of like quantum physics around the potentials of consciousness, you know, I, I think there's, there's great, uh, ironically, there's great logic in the idea that, well, you know, unless you can do the math of quantum physics, maybe you shouldn't talk about it. And, Frankly, I can't really do the math, <laughs> you know, as much as I know about it. Um, I, I'm, I'm not really that guy. But uh, what do I think consciousness is? I do think it's there is a essence of a human being that we don't have terms for yet. I'm not saying that it has to be ineffable. Uh, but I think plenty of philosophers of the past, including Stirner, would describe this ineffable. You know, what is this ego? What is this I? Um, and that, that is that, like, I don't think the brain is the seat of consciousness. I can tell you that much. I know that that would probably shock a lot of people. Um, I think the brain actually serves our nerve endings. It's not the other way around, but most of science or, you know, most of medical knowledge would suggest, um, that it's the other way around that like our nerves are, you know, serving the brain. Um, so consciousness is, is something we, yeah, that in, in, to me what it is it's something that that we don't you know really like it's what its seat is we don't exactly know yet um but consciousness is something i mean i do believe and this is important anytime you're having a conversation about consciousness i'll try and be quick uh you know is do when the person you're talking to when you're asking them about consciousness do they believe that there is an objective reality because if they don't believe there's an objective reality all bets are off you know consciousness is is just them i guess you, you know i mean like it, it's you run into it turns into a completely different conversation i firmly believe that there is an objective reality around us um i think we do experience it subjectively i think a lot of our experience is absolutely colored by our language um i'm a i'm a big fan of general semantics by albert korzyski which that get, he gets into uh, somewhat gets into consciousness, but the idea that, you know, like sort of everything is relative. I'm not a postmodernist or anything like that. I'm not the Frankfurt school. I think I get wrapped up in that somehow. No, I think those people were, were preposterous. Um, but yeah, consciousness is that which, which engages in us with objective reality. That's the simplest one sentence that I can put out there. And that one sentence actually says a lot just in admitting that there's an objective reality. Um, 
So does that does does that help answer? Uh, yeah, and that's where we're going to disagree. I, we might have to have a debate on uh, objective reality one day. Because I, well, I know with egoists that's not popular. Like the egoist encyclopedia even says there's no objective reality. <laughs> it's not that I will say that there is no objective reality. Mm. That would be ridiculous. Mm. It's the idea that I do not think that it is possible to know that there is an objective reality. I think we all are subjective human beings and it is just to me and maybe I've taken too much acid but it's it's <laughs> to me it's it's just as likely that we are creating reality through our own subjective uh interpretations and and um and consciousness we are actually creating reality as we go it's just as likely that that's the case to me as there is some objective reality that we're somehow tapping into at the same time yeah, uh, through, I, through our through reason and through logic and 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 experiencing subjectively, the idea that there's like some other realm out there that we can't see, hear, or feel, or touch really it, uh, with any with any with a with a fair degree of certainty, uh, that to me it's I can't make the leap and say I believe there is an objective reality. It's not that mm -hmm. there I'm I would say that there is not one, but. Um, it, to me, it's just as likely. I mean, I could be asleep in a matrix pod right now. It, like to right, me, these are, yeah. right. Yeah. These are these to me. These are all equally likely in terms. And for me, as a person experiencing re, um, the universe subjectively, for me, these are all equally likely because I don't fucking know, and I'm okay <laughs> with not knowing. I'm, I'm no seriously. Like that's the best that we can get is I don't know. Like mm -hmm. we, in order for me, in order to prove that there be an objective reality, you would have to exist outside of that objective reality to be able to observe it. Yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, you, you totally, ahead, I totally yes. disagree with think? some parts of that. Is, <laughs> no, 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 I, I say I don't know, but I totally disagree with parts of that as, as, as the, um, the, the resident theist here and, um, all what I'm going to say is, Theist, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah. No, yeah, that's great. That's cool. But I, I, I think we totally all, I think we totally all, um, go, kind of circling back to the very beginning of this conversation, at some point we were talking about, we all recognize the subjectivity of our own experience. And I think mm -hmm. we all do have that common thing where we do rep to recognize and emphasize um, our own, the subjectivity of our own views and our own like experiences. And then projecting that on others, because obviously it applies to others too. So, I mean, as, as, I mean, I don't really know what the objective, I don't know the objective. I don't, cannot describe to you the objective reality or anything like that. But as far as, as far as I think what we, we all have in common here is that we all accept and, you know, fully integrate this idea of our own subjectivity and other, sub, other people's subject, subjective experiencing of the world and of reality um, into our own views in how we, how we view the entire concept of like, of knowing and ideas and, uh, kind of subjective or uh, contingent like frameworks that we create that mostly for, you know, what I said were, were instrumental reasons. Yeah. Well, you know, so, so maybe this is our cliffhanger, right? <laughs> we talked about. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll say this much. Like, I think that the universe uh, is tripartite. I'm not, I'm not going to expand on that though. That's going to have to be for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> I will not. Right, I will not expand that. that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but that said, you know, like there's actually, so, I mean, I, I, you know, was raised Jewish. There's, there's a beautiful saying in the Talmud 
which essentially oh, goes uh, disagreement for the sake of heaven. And I love that, you know, so like we're not all agreeing here. Right. And but we're disagreeing what you could say, you know, for the sake of heaven, for the greater good, as it were, whatever that happens to be, you know, like we're disagreeing because we're we're trying to get to some kind of truth or at least explore it. And maybe that's the only way instead of rejecting reality, that's the only thing we can engage uh, you know, in, in, in our life is, you know, just, just that constant search. So anyway, uh, I, I'm willing to leave it at that. <laughs> so we'll disagree for the sake of heaven. And <laughs> no, that's a beautiful ending. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, it, it's, it's a, that we disagree is irrelevant. Cause I just, right. it, there is no, there's no answers yet, you know? Um, but you're right that just having these, uh, discussions, we, you know, we're trying to, uh, you know, further the the search for that answer, and it probably won't uh, come for a very long time, you know. But uh, um, okay, it's anyway, fun to get new questions. So. Yeah, these are these are fun conversations, so yeah. I, I enjoy it anyway. But um, Penguin, you got anything else before we wrap up? Uh, no, I mean, I think people should. Um, Stay tuned for for more content, and we're definitely going to have uh, Brian back. We definitely want you to have back with some really. Uh, we we have some obviously some great ideas for some uh, future conversations, but it's always a blast um, to have you on. Um, and people should also uh, check out um, various places they can check out to uh, get our t-shirts. Oh yeah, so, buy our uh, t-shirts. Yeah, 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 buy their yeah. t-shirts, everybody. Yeah, seriously, buy the more t-shirts, buy the more stuff we can do. So. Yes. <laughs> I mean, they pay me top dollar to be on here. You, you folks got to know. <laughs> <laughs> they gave me a whole $2. Please buy some t-shirts. <laughs> um, no, but look forward to our next episode with Brian, where we talk about the literal meaning of the universe and did aliens build the pyramids. It'll be great. <laughs> I'm there, guys. I got to keep my record up. I got to be the most on the Agora podcast. <laughs> All right, Brian, what, what do you want to plug? You, what, what do you got going on? Anything? Sure. Um, yeah, of course, to find everything about me, just go to SovereignTech.com, S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com. A uh, lot of big changes happening in December. Uh, very excited. Um, details will be coming, uh, you know, as you listen to the show. Um, but that's that's the, the place to get your hookup. Yeah, right on. Definitely check it out. Um, and again, man, thanks for coming on. This was a really fun conversation. Oh, it's um, awesome. I appreciate no, it. Yeah, I, I dig so this. Well, def there's definitely a part two coming. Yeah. <laughs> part, thanks, part <laughs> four. <laughs> All right. Well, th right. Um, thanks, bud, and uh, have yourself a good night, man. Same, everyone. Yeah, Peace, bro. I want